Well, this morning we are going to continue, actually wrap up our series that we've been going through uh, in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's a hard book. I mean, God's got some powerful things to say to us. But I love the symmetry of the book. The symmetry in Ezekiel, he has certain visions that begin and end. And it's one of those ones where you just don't want to stop in the middle. (laughs) You need to go ahead and see how the book has this symmetry. So today we're going to kind of see how it wraps up together uh, towards the end of the book and and what it pushes us to. Uh, And it pushes us back to these ideas of visions and visions from God. It's kind of like those hymns. Ezekiel is sort of like some of the old hymns where you don't want to just sing uh, one of the verses, right? Um, Like if you sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, you know that one. A mighty fortress is our God. You remember that one? I love that hymn. Don't sing just the first verse. It sounds like Satan wins. I mean, you got to go, go, go on to the rest of the verses. God is our bulwark in the times of trials, and it goes on to say about God's victory. So you don't, don't stop at the first verse. Just make it sure everybody knows that one. Okay, similar with the book of Ezekiel. It's got kind of a bookend about it. It's got a symmetry to it. Where it begins and where it ends are similar, and yet it fulfills the story of God's promises and fulfills the story of these visions that God gives Ezekiel and his promises to his his people. Um, so I begin with these questions about what you're dreaming about. <laughs> um, what are the visions that you have for this church, maybe for your life? What are the things that kind of capture your attention for your family? What are you praying about? Well, here comes this vision of Ezekiel in chapter 43. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel Uh, Coming from the east, his voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Verse 3, the vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when God, when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down. Continue with verse 4, it says, And the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. As I said, there's symmetry here. If you remember, uh, now this has been about two months ago, and I don't know if you remember two months ago, but I don't hardly remember two months ago. Does anybody realize we're already into October? Yeah, we've been in October for a while. If that's surprising to you, surprise. It's been moving fast for me this year. I, 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 tell you, I don't remember where we've been sometimes or where we're going. It just feels like things are just on the move. And yet, God has been speaking to us through this book. And if you remember in Ezekiel, it started off with these visions. These visions of like whirling winds and these cherubim angels and this chariot of God. And we actually, as we walked through the first several chapters of Ezekiel, we saw these images of God lifting up and going out of the temple that would be destroyed. Leaving, and it was this sadness that came over God's people as you saw God going into exile with the people who were sent into exile. That His presence was going with them into some difficult days. And here we see the exact same vision. We see this idea that, look, no, the Lord has returned. He says, it was just like those visions I saw by the Kabar River. It was just like the visions I saw when I saw the glory of God leave the temple. Now you see it's the same God. 
It's the same visions. But this time, it's the visions of return. God is returning to the temple. It reminds us of a truth. God is the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. The circumstances may be changing, but our God is not changing. In fact, when we talk about this glory of God, he says, that fills the temple, some people often use this term Shekinah glory. Now, the Shekinah glory is actually a term not used in the Bible, but it means this sort of visible, almost like radiant glory of God that just is so much that it's almost difficult to approach. This is the same image that is there when God appears to Moses. You remember Moses. Right, That first prophet who began to reveal the law of God to the people of God, who led the Israelites out of slavery, who God took up to a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and appeared to Moses in such a way that the rest of the people couldn't even get near the mountain. God's presence was so much there. And in fact, it says that when Moses came down from that temple, his face so radiated with the glory of God that they had to put a, a veil over him. Now, we're not wearing masks today for the same reason, but, you know, I mean, Moses had his own kind of mask on because of the incredible glory and presence of God. Now, this is the same God who, when they dedicated that first temple that was built, that very first temple that was built under King Solomon, and the glory of God, it says, so filled the temple, like this smoke, this Shekinah glory, that the priests had to kind of like stand back, get away, and they all fell down and worshipped, but they couldn't even do their sacrifices. They couldn't perform their duties because the presence of God was just there. It's the same God. It's the same God that when Jesus went with his three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto a mountain, and the Lord God Almighty came and enveloped them with a cloud and said, This is my Son. Listen to Him. It's the same glorious presence that Peter, James, and John fell face down. It was just because of the presence of God. This is the same vision of God that we even see in the book of Revelation when time is completed, when we will be with the Lord forever and we are with this new in His presence and God is our temple. His presence is our light. The Scripture tells us there won't even be the need for a sun or a moon because God's presence is just there. Have you ever had these kinds of experiences? This closeness of God that was just too close. Just maybe a little too much. Maybe it was even something that was just sort of blinding and distracting. I I used to go camping with a friend. We would go to Colorado. We would jump in his little Bronco 2. You remember those little vehicles, right? Kind of, they were kind of good, but kind of not so, you know, they'll, they'll tip over. But, you know, the little Broncos, and, and uh, I think they're making a comeback. The Broncos have just come back out, right? The new versions, and they're, 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 they're updated. We would take his little Bronco 2, load it up with coolers of food, and we would drive it as far as we could. Then we'd put our backpacks on and hike as far as we could, and you'd get up above the timber line, and you'd get up pretty high, and you could get on the tops of these peaks, and you could see out forever. On one of these experiences, uh, the clouds kind of rolled in. But you're up 
12 and a half, 13,000 feet. You're up high enough that the clouds, when they come rolling in, you're either right there on the clouds or above the clouds. And the light and the sun begins to bounce off the clouds and it just kind of becomes almost blinding around you. I think it was sort of like that. This Shekinah glory filling the temple. And here, Ezekiel, who is in exile, who has heard of the destruction of the temple, who has heard that his people and has experienced with his people this time of just sort of disillusionment, discouragement, devastation. In the middle of that, he gets this vision of God rolling back into town. It's like the clouds rolling back in. It's like that brightness coming back. It's that hope coming back. It's all of a sudden the presence of God was just there. It's the same God. He never left. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always bringing about His plan to bring glory to His Son, to bring people into His kingdom, to fulfill His purpose for us. It's the Shekinah glory of God rolling back into town. Ezekiel, as he speaks, these final visions at the end of the book, they echo the first. But where the first was saying, oh, it's going to be a difficult time. Now it's saying the God who never left us is a God who's leading us back. Back to that first love. You can hear Jesus talking to his church, right? You can hear Jesus saying to his people, listen, one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. God is always pulling us back to that first love, that first place. Where are you? Where are you right now? Is there a little bit of, Lord, I need to hear this again. I need to, I remember those days. I I remember when I was like longing to be in your presence, where I was so enjoying reading your scripture and knowing your word. There were those days when, when, when I was hungry just to be in your presence. Anybody remember those? Are they seeming like distant memories? Or are they today? God hasn't changed. Perhaps we're the ones that just need to do a little bit of turning back. And finding him right there. Finding him right there. God is the same. In fact, in Hebrews it says this of Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not, he's not the one who has changed. So often, it's us. The second thing I really want you to see in this passage is that not only is God the same, but God is great. God is great. God is glorious. God is holy. God is amazing. We need to be those who fall in love and amazement with the living God again. Here's how it says it in Ezekiel chapter 43. It goes on to say, When that man, this angel, this messenger of God, was standing beside me, he said, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. So in this vision, he sees the temple, and someone inside is giving him a word. And here's the word. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live. Don't miss that. Where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and their funeral offerings for their kings at their deaths. No more of that. I'm going to be glorified. 
Keep going on the next verse. When they placed their thresholds next to my threshold and their doorposts next to my doorposts, when it's only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Okay. What is the Lord speaking? As Ezekiel sees this new vision of the temple, the voice comes out and says, it's going to be holy. I am great. And you need to treat me as holy. God actually brings up a few specific points here. What does it mean that they place their thresholds next to my threshold? Their doorposts next to my doorposts with only a wall between them. What was it talking about when you're saying those, those funeral processions for their kings? Well, realize that the temple of God had been very much the centerpiece. The centerpiece for the people of God. It was the centerpiece for the city. It was the biggest structure. It was sort of the. It was sort of a, a, an amazing uh, facility. Now the temple, uh, the, the the king's palaces were often like, like put right up next to it, and even on one side of the temple, well, some of the king's like burial spots were right there. We see later, even when they rebuilt the temple, that there were some people that like Tobiah and some of these guys that had their own rooms. Now, they were rooms in the temple. There were rooms for the priests to, like, change clothes, to keep some of the offerings. But some people thought, well, maybe I'll just have, you know, I'll set up my own little, like, kitchen there, and I'll have my own little locker, and it wasn't just to keep my stuff. You know, I'll put in a couch, and, and I, someplace where I, I can relax. I'll put a, a, some, some decorations that I brought, you know, some pictures from back home. And they sort of decorated their office space almost to make it their own. They defiled the temple, not treating it as holy. This is God's building. This is for His presence. This is for His honor. And it kind of became a thing that was for their honor. <clears throat> you know, my, uh, my burial spot, I wanted to be right here. <laughs> you know, right? Well, you can just bury me under, under the pulpit or something, right? You know how we did that in the ancient cathedrals, right? Kings would be buried, and you can go back to England, and you can see where the kings were buried. And in the, in the people began to see the cathedrals as for their glory. Just like the people of God began to see the temple as something for them. And they began to defile and take away from, as if you could, take away, try to take away from the glory of God and make it about themselves. Oh dear, oh dear. When Jesus came and saw this refurbished, rebuilt temple that had taken 46 years, 46 years to rehab, Harold, I don't, I don't know if you were willing to put 46 years into, into fixing the place back up. 46 years to get everything fixed back up the way it was supposed to be. Jesus entered those temple courts, and the people had done similar things to take away from this magnificent glory of God and make it a place of convenience. Here's what it says in John chapter 2. In the temple courts, Jesus found the people selling cattle and sheep and doves and other people were sitting there exchanging money. Wait, what's what's going on? In Jesus' day, the people were still expected to come and and, and offer sacrifices, offer animal sacrifices, a, a ram or a bull or a lamb or some pigeons. They were expected to offer grain offerings. In fact, for some of the they were supposed to raise the lamb for an entire year. And that year-old lamb that they had taken care of, they were supposed to come and sacrifice as an offering to God. 
I don't know about you and raising animals, but that seems like really hard. Anybody thinking that I don't have time for raising an animal? I, I don't. My wife and I, we have bunnies. Now, you're thinking, oh, you raise bunnies. Well, yeah, I mean, they run around in our yard and everybody else's yard, and they eat the grass, and we, we have grass that grows, and they are welcome to it. They can eat all the grass they want, and we will see them. I, I feel like that's about as much care as I want to give to animals. Now, others, you're raising your chickens, you're raising what? Okay, that just seems like a lot of work. I can go and get the chicken, and, you know, he seems fine. So, Dick, keep raising those chickens, but, man, I, I don't think I'm going to participate. I, I, that, it just seems like a lot of work. It just seems like a lot of work. The people of God thought that too. So instead of raising your lamb for a year, instead of investing your time, instead of like remembering God and honoring God day after day as you prepared for that sacrifice for that entire year and did that year after year, why not just pick up a lamb or pick up an offering on the way? In fact, wouldn't it be even more convenient if they just sold them right there in the temple? Oh my goodness, we've turned the worship of God into something that's convenient. David said something, King David, when he was first purchasing the land that would be the land where the temple would be built. The man who owned it said, look, I just give the land to, the, to my Lord the King. I'll, I'll just give it. I'll give wood for the altar and you, you can have it all. And David said, far be it from me to offer the Lord my God something that costs me nothing. God is great. God is holy. God is good and God is loving. Absolutely. We need to approach God with the reverence that He deserves. In fact, when Jesus saw these money changers and these ones who were selling cattle there in the place that was supposed to be the place of prayer, it says He took a whip and made a whip out of cords and He drove them from the temple courts. The sheep, the cattle, He scattered the coins of the money changers and He overturned their tables. It was, get these out of here, is what He said. I wonder how often we take God's house, the temple He's created us to be, that He puts His Holy Spirit in, and we make it a place where, well, as long as it's convenient for me, I'll spend time with God. As long as it's convenient for me, I'll worship. As long as it's meeting my needs, I'll participate. Worship isn't for you. It blesses you, absolutely. It encourages you, absolutely. It transforms you, absolutely. But our worship this morning is not for you. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I hope you enjoy the music. The guys have done a good job this morning. Thank you. Josh came back, Jim. But honestly, I don't care. I don't care if you liked it. It's not for you. Worship is for God. We need to come... And approach Him with reverent hearts. Because I promise, when we're approaching with the right hearts, it's going to bless you. It's going to speak to you. It's going to encourage you. We are going to sing, as we sang this morning, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because we are here for Him. And not just to get something from Him. God is great. God is glorious. God is on His throne. And we, His people, get to be that dwelling place. For his presence. So Ezekiel 4, uh, 43 verse 9. 
So let them put away from me their prostitution, their funeral offerings for their kings, and I will live among them forever. God promises His presence to be glorious in our lives that we become that temple of God. The last thing I want you to see in Ezekiel 43 is this. That God has a plan. God is purposeful. In fact, in the previous chapter, chapter 42, and in the chapters to come uh, for the rest of the book, God describes the building of the temple in great detail. He describes the measurements. He describes how the gates are supposed to be put in their places. He describes the artwork. He describes everything about the temple and its regulations and how you were supposed to go about doing it. He gave them blueprints, basically, verbal plans of how the temple was supposed to be presented. It says in verse 10, Son of man, describe it to them. Describe the temple to the people of Israel so they might be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfections. These detailed plans that God gave were for a purpose. These detailed plans that God gave for for the people were to remind them that there was a place of the temple that was dedicated for prayer. Prayers for the entire nations so that the world would know that God is God and they could come and encounter Him. Are we a place that people who don't know God can come and find God? We're supposed to be. There was a place that was holy, the holy place, where the sins and the, or the, were, were atoned for, uh, at least a, a symbol of those sins being atoned for, uh, were done as the people offered their offerings on, at, for the sacrifices, and the priest did that work, that they interceded for uh, the people and stood in the gap. For us, we know that we don't offer bulls and rams and birds and as sacrifice for sins because we have a once for all sacrifice. Jesus, our great high priest, our inter- intermediary who stands between us and God the Father, who has atoned for our sins, who died on the cross to pay for our sins. We come before God only because of the grace and mercy and love that God forever poured out through His Son, Jesus. We come before Him righteous because of Jesus' righteousness and His righteous act on the cross. The temple, the designs of the temple foretold uh, the people of what God would do through His Son, Jesus. And finally, in the temple, there was this most holy place, the holy of holies, the place that no one went, um, except one time a year, the high priest could go behind that curtain that separated the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant of God, where God's presence was supposed to be right there. It was his footstool. It was his like spot, his throne. Where, and, the, and the high priest could go once a year. And even that high priest had to have bells at the bottom of his robe. Why would you put bells at the bottom of the road? Because if in the holiness of God, that priest was not righteous, he wouldn't make it. They would tie a rope around his ankle so they could pull him out because he wouldn't be alive anymore. This holiness of God. When Jesus died on the cross for us, it says that temple veil was ripped in half. That God opened the way that we could all go in. That God's presence would be with us forever. What an amazing description. The holiness of God, the temple of God, describes and foretells how we are to be brought into God's presence. And that God's presence comes to dwell among us because of the sacrifice of the great high priest who entered once and for all, for all time 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. I am so glad that our God was so purposeful that even in the design of the temple, He was foretelling what He would do through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, would you give your life to Him? Would you say yes to Him? But that also reminds us that we have a purposeful God that's going to show us what to do. It goes on in verse 43 to say this, And if they are ashamed of what they've done, and you make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, its whole design, and all the regulations and laws, you write these down before them so they may be faithful to its design and follow its regulations. Our God, who is so purposeful in the design of the temple, is purposeful in leading us as His people. Showed up up there. Okay, well, why did I put that? I was building a house. Mickey and I were um, doing some little construction. We were doing a dormer on the house, raising the roof. We were raising the roof of our house. I had my buddies and I. We were just kind of going along. We were framing it. We were putting in the uh, things and the other things and the. Okay, I'm getting real technical, right? (laughs) You know the studs and the. You know, we were, we were the studs, building the studs. You know, you know how it all goes. We were putting up the, the house and the ceiling joists, and we put it all together. And the inspector came. And he said, um, <clears throat> so you put in a window. That's good. You need a window right there. You do have to have windows for ventilation and all that kind of stuff, exits. He said that, that there's no um, header. I'm like, what's a header? <laughs> <coughs> He was not real happy with that uh, answer. And he's like, where are your plans? You've got to have your plans. Look, see, it says it's got to have a header. You've got to follow the plans. There, there's a thing that has to happen. Here, here's a here picture of Hirsch making sure we have a header that's right here by the door and our door right here to the church. He knew what he was talking about. Hirsch knows what's going on. I didn't know what was going on, and I wasn't following the blueprints. Going forward as Valley Baptist Church, God has already given us salvation in His Son. He's already given us His Holy Spirit. But we can also be assured that our purposeful God is going to help give us a plan. Some of it's pretty simple. Knowing Him, being filled with His Spirit, He's already shown us those things. But the specifics of the plan, God will continue to show us. We need to be faithful to follow. We already had kind of a plan for this month. Does anybody remember it? What was it? Invite a friend to church month, right? You've got one week left. I'm <laughs> just letting you know. Uh, I feel like I'm back in class. Okay, guys, remember your group project is due next week. You've got three weeks until your paper is due. Okay, next week. Are we inviting people to come and encounter the presence and the Word of God? To hear this good news of Jesus, that he died for their sins, that he rose from the dead, that he promises his presence in his life, that he's called us into this holy relationship with him. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to invite. Let's continue to be faithful to the plans that God's going to lay out before us in the days ahead. Well, chapter 43, verse 12, concludes with this. The law of the temple and all the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. This is the law of the temple. I think for me, I I can understand 
Sure, coming to church. I want to be holy. I need to watch my language. I'm not going to chew gum. Did you guys have extra rules when you were kids about coming to church? We don't chew gum at church. We don't, you know, don't, we don't use that language at church. We don't run in church. We don't. I want my whole life. The whole top of the mountain. The whole area. We need to be holy to the Lord. God, this is your life. This is your life. I heard a video today, or not today, this past week on YouTube. It was Denzel Washington. You know Denzel Washington, the actor? He was saying this at a graduation speech. He said, I I just pray that you would shove your slippers, your house slippers, way back underneath the bed. So when you get up in the morning, you need to get down on your knees and thank God before you even get your slippers out for the morning. Now, I don't think we all need to get down on our knees because some of you are going to be calling me saying, hey, come help me get back up. Some of you don't need to actually get down on your knees. But in our hearts, are we each day giving thanks and saying, God, everything I have is yours. My life is yours. Let it be holy, fully devoted to you. Let me be yours, O God. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Thank you that you've called us to be holy in everything we do. Lord, if anyone doesn't know you today, draw on their heart. Convict them of what it is to know you today. Father, thank you for how you're moving in this place. It's yours. Have your way in all of us. We pray these all in the name of Jesus. We're going to have a song of decision. Josh and Jim are going to lead us in this last song. But for some of you, you may be making a decision today. Maybe it's a decision to join this church as your church. We've had several lately come and say, this is where the place that God has me. I know that I'm supposed to use my gifts and talents to help be holy in this place. Some of you, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And today's your day. You just want to say, yes, Lord. I need to know you. I want to know you. Come into my life. You respond how Jesus is calling you. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're old. It doesn't matter. You come. For some of us, maybe we just need to rededicate ourselves to the Lord and say, God, I want to be the temple you called me to be. If you want to pray, you pray where you're sitting. If you want to speak with someone and pray with me, I'll be up to the front. You come. You respond as God is calling you as Josh sings.